Hello and welcome to Court Games, a podcast for the L5R community, funded by the Legends of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the RPG, stories and lore for L5R, and we want to give a big shout out to our Patreon supporters today. I'm Korvar on the L5R Discord. Yeah, I'm also known as Mike. I have been playing Legend of the Five Rings, the role-playing game, since about 2006-ish, 7-ish or so. Mostly 3rd ed and 4th ed, and now 5th edition. My main focus and the thing I really like to do is to try and make Rockagan feel like it's a real place that you could go and visit and have fun and exciting times in. And my name is Jeannie Calvar, also known on the Discord as Kakita Kaori, and I've been an L5R player for 20 years. I'm a fiction writer, and I also really get deeply into the lore and story for L5R, and I enjoy building the L5R community a lot, and I like finding out all the little hidden details of Rokugan and making them real for my characters and for everybody who is playing. This show is going to be formatted as a newscast of the latest news in L5R. Hopefully you will be able to find some good things for your RPGs here. And uh, we have some news coming up today, don't we? We do. The latest news we have for the role-playing game side of Legend of the Five Rings is the playmat that has just been released which has uh, spaces for an initiative tracker. It's got places for people to put their void tokens, so they keep track of their void points and how much void they've got. And it also has a place to put your tokens to demonstrate what stance you're currently in, whether you're in fire stance or void stance or so on and so forth. Possibly the same for your opponents. So all that information is clear for everyone at the table. Uh, it's about two foot by two foot. And so it should fit on most tables, and it's got room for about six people. Yeah, there are some really nice things to use with it, too. Um, if you go out and you really want to trick your uh, table out nicely, you can go to Dojo Creative Design, and they have all sorts of stance and opportunity cards. And they have various spell cards, follower tokens, that sort of thing that you can use with a, a playmat like this. And also there are some on Discord's own Dropbox made by uh, our host. And we're going to have links to all of these things, so the, the playmat URL and the Discord Dropbox and also Creative Designs Dojo. Links to all of those will be in the show notes, so you'll be able to check those out for yourself. Also, the new Shadowlands book and some new uh, features of, of that, but we will be getting to that on a future podcast. Yes, looking forward to that. What we're having right now, uh, in terms of story and lore, is that the Children of the Empire fiction has completed. There's three parts, and we're going to, again, have links to all of those in the show notes, so you can go check those out if you haven't already. And this is the story of why the current emperor has decided that his eldest son, Sotori, 
is not fit to inherit the throne, which is why he previously uh, tasked Toturi with writing down an edict which will disinherit Toturi, put Daisetsu on the throne, and put Bayushi Shoju in as regent, which is very much going to set the cat amongst the pigeons, I feel. Oh, nothing could go wrong there. Nothing, absolutely nothing could go wrong with putting the scorpion in charge of absolutely everything. That never goes wrong. (laughs) And this is the story of basically an argument that Satori got into with Daisetsu, which ended up in a duel, which ended up with its own set of results. And it was all very interesting, but also gave us all sorts of interesting nuggets of lore for us to to get our teeth into. Yes. One of the things that we want to do with this podcast is when new lore comes out, whether it's um, through stories or we get some information from the story writers, we'd love to be able to share that with you in case you might want to incorporate that into your campaign. Uh, So we do have a couple of uh, interesting lore nuggets from this set of three stories that are exciting. A very unexciting one to start with, but is always there is a couple of Go terms if you are not a Go aficionado, um, including uh, Sente, which is taking the initiative, and Gote, which is following or biding time. So you can always write your haiku or you know give your veiled conversation having such terms. Probably a lot more useful for a magistrate campaign is that because of the kind of game that Daisetsu and uh, Dairu were playing, we learned the rules for torturing in Rokugan and how they have changed. So um, under common acceptance, uh, everybody's eligible to be tortured no matter what. Um, And it's actually from my sense of it was that it is considered justice that everybody could be tortured because otherwise high-ranking people might be considered immune from such things. Yep, can't have that. You can't have that. Everybody should be allowed to be tortured because that's fair and just, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But um, there is, under technical locality, which no one follows anymore, but it's there on the books. Torture is not permitted to be used on anyone who is not of sound mind. Um, so yeah. if you need an excuse not to torture somebody with your magistrate, um, that's there in the books for you to use. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think having some, like, something like that is quite good because when I've played, I'm playing a magistrate at the minute in, in one game I'm in. And uh, yeah, that's come up a few times where that's technically what you should be doing. And it's like, mm, if I could find a way of not doing that, that would make me so happy. <laughs> but it's nice to have that mentioned. It is also interesting because not only is that an interesting bit of uh, lore snippet, it does lead into more about the, the character of Daisetsu because that leads, the fact that when that information comes out, that leads to Daisetsu thinking back on the fact that he had to at one point witness an interrogation and his feelings about that which is all feeding back into the diff- the two different princes Satori and Daisetsu 
and uh, who they are and what they are and how they feel about things. And it's all very interesting. Actually, a lot of campaigns do run straight from Topaz Championship through sometimes a few hoops or sometimes not mm. into your characters being trained as magistrates, maybe at the Ruby Dojo, uh, maybe uh, you know on-the-job training. But given that, even the Emperor's son is compelled to watch torture by a good trainer of magistrates that's something that would happen to your characters if you were being trained in the ruby dojo you probably get a eyeful of that that's something to keep in mind and also i mean it's a thing there's a there's a phrase that you'll hear quite a lot which is rock again your way so that may be one of those things that you do want to kind of a dial you may wish to tweak in your own personal game um I mean, I have to admit, one, one thing, this is literally a thing that I came up recently with, uh, there is a Shigenja spell which allows you to read the surface thoughts, certainly in 4th edition, I have to check on 5th. You could read people's surface thoughts. And if you combine that with someone who is good at interrogation, as in just talking to people, just drawing out information, yeah, then with a combination, a well-trained pair could probably draw out more information than you could through inflicting pain. Well, it's a real world skill. I mean, I think I consider this ability to do interrogation the perfect place for a courtier in your magistrate's game. Absolutely. Because that's what social skills should be all about. You should be able to through a combination of, you know, chumming up with the guy and the occasional threats, having your your heavy next to you is always a to crack their knuckles isn't a bad thing, but being the no. good cop will uh, will get you more information. So that's the role that a, a courtier, you know, of the non you know, wicked nature um, can yeah, have yeah, in a, have in have in a campaign. Anyway, yeah. there were some other good nuggets in this uh, story too. Yeah, we got a, a list of some of the books that Daidio and Daisetsu were using in their very, very nerdy game of see who can name the most obscure piece of information. We have something we already are aware of, which is Leadership by Okodo. I believe that's been mentioned. Only two, but that's, that's been mentioned from um, Old Taiva. You also have the Articles of Heaven, which I believe is the law, the imperial law. The Mask, which I believe is a play by Shosuru uh, Furuyari. And then we have uh, Fascination by Shansien, or is it Shansien's Fascination? I'm not quite sure whether the Shansien is the author or the person who is being fascinated. Uh, we know this as the pillar book that was not quite as um, scandalous as Daisetsu uh, had hoped. <laughs> So um, there you go. It's it's a uh, it's a uh, that's all we know about it. It's a pillow book that's not quite as scandalous as a fourteen-year-old would have liked. Um, but I, I think that leaves you quite a lot of uh, of room for uh, <laughs> of, of putting your own spin on that particular book. Well, I like I like the naming conventions for these things. Uh, some of the other ones are new for new five R, but. Having a list of books is not a big deal. You can always make your own up, but it's nice to know some naming conventions and that sort of thing. It is fun, and it is fun stuff that you can just drop in in a cultural background. Just casually mention that it's not necessarily important, but it, it's those nice little details that kind of makes the, the place feel lived in, which I really like. Uh, we also found out, I think this is 
not necessarily the first imperial name, like name of the emperor. I don't think this is the first we've heard. It's the first time we've heard this emperor's name. Mm, very much. It's Hante the 38th, the current reigning emperor of Rokugan as of 1123 in the new FFG timeline. And he is Jordan, which is a new piece of information. Uh, various attempts to try and pick a Japanese word that, that might fit. But it could, I mean, also you just get names, which is just names. So I think Jordan is, is in fact a name. It could also convert to a high guard or like a defensive posture or a, a high degree is another possibility. But there you go. We have his actual name and he refers to himself as Jordan, which I thought was kind of in- interesting instead of the Hante, which is pretty much how they're always referred to. Well, I don't think any of us would refer to ourselves like that. No, no, but it was it was interesting, and I don't think we've had an emperor referenced in that way. That was very interesting. We also got to meet Doji Satsume. He was the Emerald Champion six months ago when all this happened. Uh, he has since become deceased in mysterious circumstances. But your players may or may not, if you've been playing the game, your players may or may not have discovered something about that. And it was actually nice to see him doing stuff himself. Yes, I thought it was interesting how he was referred to as a character because he was both, you know, we've known all along he was very much a uh, hardcore kind of uh, tough, tough person, very strict in his Bushido, but Hante Joden's opinion of him was that he was very practical in his uh, application of Bushido. I believe it was honorable yet pragmatic. Yes, he was not a purist. He he was very good at threading the Rokugani needle, which mm. is a very tough thing to do, which is find the honorable path, but still doing what you need to get done. And without Absolutely. him, some of, the, some of the things where people are, you can see where things might become more difficult if there's no one who's really good at threading that needle. Especially when you're talking about the Emerald Champion, which is you are the bodyguard of the Emperor and you are the head of law and order, the Imperial law and order for the entire Empire. And I think a certain amount of honourable pragmatism is going to be what you need. We'll see if Tutori is up to the job. Yes, I think he's he's going to find the um, pragmatic part, I think, because he's very much a traditionalist and very much a, a true believer. That's That should be quite interesting. The main thing that uh, Doji Satsume was doing was adjudicating the duel between Daidyu and Sotori. And according to, to him, that uh, before you have undergone your Genpaku, you don't get to duel with actual katana. Yeah, I got the impression you don't get to touch actual katana. Though obviously they mm. train with something you know, similar, but katana is a sacred weapon, so... It's hard to say whether you never train with one before your Genpaku, but you certainly don't use one for real, which is what you'd be doing in a duel. So that was, that's absolutely definite. Even if one of them is the Imperial Prince, which I so that obviously is quite a strong thing for him to just say, nah, you're using Bokken because you're still babbies. Yeah, you've not had your forehead shaved. Although, having said that, it's hard to tell whether or not they actually do that, depending on the artwork. But... 
Actually, actually, they do. They've mentioned it in another story where oh. Shizue was bemoaning the fact that the Imperials are very traditional about their hair and that oh. soon Daisetsu's beautiful long black hair would have to be shaved. So they actually mention that. Okay, that's interesting. Cool, cool. That's another piece of information I didn't know. Uh, but we also got to find out some information because we, we got to see a very formal duel up close and personal. Absolutely. Yeah, that dual format was great because uh, obviously in Rokugan your way, you can do it any way you want. But this is a nice, practical, and not too extravagant uh, way of running a duel. Uh, they might have had more steps if it was a duel to the death, but this, this format was straightforward. And it involves both duelists stepping into the sparring circle. person who is the adjudicator names himself as the adjudicator. Um, in this case, it was Doji Satsume, but it would be the person who is observing and witnessing the duel. And the adjudicator then names the alleged transgression, whatever is the source of the duel. In this case, it was an insult unforgivable in its substance, but it could be anything. They would not repeat the insult, but say what the transgression was that is the cause of the duel. Then the adjudicator beseeches the heavens to administer justice because it is all decided by the heavens, not the skill of the Kikita on the other side of that plate, of course. Yeah, which is, I mean, why, why even bother rolling dice? <laughs> we can't help it if we're favored by the heavens. Yeah. I know. So, Dragon. <laughs> what's the name of the, what's the, the line from Napoleon? God is on the side with the big battalions. Right. <laughs> And then the adjudicator will name the terms of the duel. In this case, it was actually a different format than we've commonly talked about in L5R, because normally we talk about, you know, first touch, first blood, and to the death. But this is slightly different, though it makes more sense. This is Boken duel to first blow against his opponent's torso, which would in general be a kill strike, but also avoids, you know, knocking each other over the head with the Boken, and therefore doing less damage. And I think this is a great format to use for training sequences or, you know, sparring mm. in the dojo. Uh, it's always, uh, you know, I want to test my skill against yours in a duel without actually anything being judged or weighed. It's a very common um, thing to want to do in a campaign. And so this Boken to first blow against his opponent's torso Sounds like a great way to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was really good. And I would say this would be considered causing a critical strike in 5th Ed, wouldn't you say? Yeah, a critical strike would, would be a good one. So that would be effectively much the same as the first blood rules yes, or first touch, depending on how solid a blow you're looking at. So in, ter in terms of the actual dice you'd roll, I think that would be about the same as first blood. But you'd, you'd specify because you're not using a razor edge weapon. No one's going to get bleeding, and there's, you know, it'll be, you'll be sore for a bit, but you won't. Get, you're not going to need medical attention. And you know, we have established, and the whole point of the story is that swinging after the terms of the duel have been met, no matter how quick those are, mm. is shocking and horrifying, and will receive universal condemnation, even if you are the son of the emperor. Oh, I. Not, that's it, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. <laughs> that's one that they definitely the courtiers are covering up or trying yep. to, but gossiping about. Oh yeah, there was much fluttering of fans. 
we have a general restating of what is known in the lore anyway. They mention humans being born of Lady Sun's tears and Lord Moon's blood. I liked that they acknowledge that this is an analogy. Mm. That there is light and darkness in all of us, and Lord Moon's blood signifies the embodiment of darkness and sin in all of us. Yeah, we don't think I've seen that expressed in that way before, and that was actually really interesting. Right, and I think when you have a society as metaphorical as Rokugan, and you're talking about the most uh, educated classes... I think that there is a large amount of understanding that some of these stories are analogies. In Japan, through history, the samurai class was considered somewhat atheistic. Now, you can't be an atheist in a world where the gods really do throw stones. However, this idea that some of these stories could be analogies or could be exaggerated, I think is in the consciousness of the samurai and the most educated mm. people. So I think that they would say that humans were born of Lady Sun's tears and Lord Moon's blood. Absolutely. But they would understand that that also means, you, you know, humans are made of lightness and darkness. Yeah, yeah. And we also discovered that the gift-giving protocol of refusing twice and then accepting on the third offer, that can be politely waved between friends. At least, at, at least, if certainly, if one of the friends is the emperor, not necessarily anybody else, but if you're the emperor, definitely. <laughs> well, that makes sense. There's a how many times? A, a lot of times in campaigns, you're like, "Here, take this." I was like, "I've got to refuse no. it twice." <laughs> I'm like, we're friends. It's okay. We'll just we'll yes. just pass that. It's it's like every every campaign I've been in, you do it once or twice to establish it, and then you just kind of yeah, we just assume it's done. We assume you did it. We just we don't need to role play it out every single time. <laughs> so so that's okay. If the emperor can do it, the rest of us can do it. Absolutely. Just make sure you're not doing it to someone who's higher in authority with you and expects proper protocol. Yep. All right. That's all of our lore nuggets. That was quite mm-hmm. a lot. But can we go on and talk about what this story means? I think I think this is this is very interesting because especially especially when the second of these dropped, when we got Sotori's point of view, he was suddenly hugely more sympathetic than he has ever been portrayed ever. And I, I think this is the first time we've seen his point of view. I could be wrong about that. Suddenly, he stops being this absolutely awful mean just angry kid and he is in fact very sad very lonely doesn't know how to express himself doesn't know how to ask for help doesn't know how to be he actually doesn't know how to be nice to people in many ways and that's really isolated him and he is actually very unsure of himself instead of the completely arrogant twerp that we thought he was yeah, he seems to me like he has, uh, you know, he has some issues with him that have left him emotionally stunted. And given his his mm. uh, background, that is completely understandable. Though, considering 
bypassing the oldest for the throne is a very rare circumstance. It's not normal. Yeah. One would imagine that most Hantes manage to get around this one way or another. I mean, it, it, it is a difficult problem for anyone to overcome. But this Hante, for either personal ability reasons or because he didn't have the right influences in his life or many other things, obviously cannot overcome this socially damaging environment that he was uh, raised in. I mean, we, we know that the, the, the trope of the young prince being raised and becoming spoiled and mean and horrible is a very common one in, in fiction and, and especially fantasy fiction. There is also the possibility, and this has been stated, there is a darkness within him. Well, Hante said so. <laughs> Yes, I mean, and but I think a few people have kind of said things like that, and it's kind of curious: is there more to this than simply he's very socially awkward, therefore he's frustrated a lot of time, therefore he lashes out, or is there something more? Because there are a few things, even in second and third, where we see his own viewpoint, where. Some of those thoughts, they almost seem like they could be external. I'm not saying, you know, not 100% sure about this. It's not, you know, not super clear. But when, when he gets hit in the duel, he goes off on one and seems to be, you know, the fact, just the fact that he, he struck after the duel was over anyway, uh, including the, the heavens are wrong. Everything's wrong. Ah, I can't be wrong. I can't have failed. Therefore, the heavens are wrong which is a bit disturbing when it comes to an imperial prince. Um, and then, you know, he was like, was he going to hit Daisetsu? Because we're not sure. Everyone seemed to think he was, even though he seemed to think he was going to throw his Bokken away. And that's why he hefted it. Not to hit anyone by that point. But his anger did seem a little bit out of proportion to what had happened. Does that mean there's something external going on? Or is he just that frustrated and he has that much anger inside him? Yeah, I lean towards he has that much anger inside him. You know, I'm a mom. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, 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 I know how it gets. So I can I can definitely see that, uh, see things getting out of control like that, given that he is immature. Yeah. Extremely immature for his age, uh, for a lot of reasons. And this is how, yeah, this is a temper tantrum. He is out of control. Um, but I don't think it takes an outside influence. Mm. You know, some people have hinted this is an italics and this isn't and, and yeah, so yeah. on. But we, we get that, those voices as both his anger and his doubts in the second story. I yeah. think in general, he's a very well-painted character. It is a powder keg no matter what you take of the situation. And I think... One thing that really impressed me was, okay, this is where we were six months ago. We've got Satsume alive. We've got uh, Sotori before his Genpuku. And we've got this spat, emperor's on his throne. And in six months, we have Satsume dead, Sotori both past his Genpuku, and mm. passed over. We have the lion champion dead. We have, uh, you know, unicorn and the lion going to war. We've got full on war at Toshi Rambo. We've got 
just the number of things that have happened through the timeline in the last six months is incredible. If you take what has happened in the story so far, you have all these fictions and what you don't get a sense of until you actually like start stacking them in a row is that you've got pretty much a fiction a week or less. You know, you've got mm. three or four fictions happening in the same week sometimes. And in some, you've got maybe a couple of weeks between them. But in order to get all of that in in six months, that's the schedule you're looking at. So we are only in summer. <laughs> there's, there's, there's some stuff to go in because uh, Satori has yet to find out that he's been passed over. That's going to be entertaining. We haven't had the edict actually read out. That's that's going to be. I can't. I can't remember if it's later the later that day as far as the children of the empire, which is when the emperor is talking to Shoju. My personal impression was that Tiger Stocks' prey happened yeah. in the evening. This is the next morning, and the edict is going to be read this afternoon. That is definitely going to be an interesting thing, and that's that's something we've got to look forward to. Yeah, so, and we feel like we've been waiting for a while for this day, yeah. to, <laughs> day to end. We've been waiting, what, six months almost for this? Something like that. <laughs> for this shoe to drop. So we will have to find it out soon. But uh, until we do, I think that's it for us today. I think that is. I think that's us. So thank you very much for listening. We certainly hope you'll continue to listen. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and would like to come back for more. And uh, thank you from me. May the fortunes favor you all and have a great week. <laughs>